recording. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and my guest for this episode is former U.S. national soccer player, midfielder specifically, and now a strength coach at Ambitious Athletics. You heard her on the FitCast. Hopefully, if you listen, tuned in. That is Lori Lindsay. Lori, how you doing? Excellent. Thanks, Kev. How you doing? I'm doing great. And I'm always, uh, I, my intros are never really the best because I'm always afraid, like, you have a hell of a resume. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> where am I going to go on this resume so I can get a couple bullet points and, and kind of move forward? But, I mean, you, you've also uh, our World Cup silver medalist. Like, you've you've done a lot in the world of soccer, professional soccer, and now you've transitioned as you have retired from that sport and then gone into the world of strength and conditioning to prepare the next generation of athletes for the rigors of their sports. Yeah, that's a good intro. What are you talking about? That's awesome. I don't know. I try. That's exactly right. Okay, well, maybe let's, uh, we're going to kind of go all over the place. If you've tuned into this show before, you know, it's just kind of a discussion with some of the people that I love the most in the world and that are doing incredible things. And uh, Lori's going to be a great guest for this because of just the, the incredible, you know, vast amounts of experiences that you've had. And maybe I, I don't want to build it up too much because then it's going to be like, have you gone to the moon? <laughs> I mean, I wish, but, um, would, would, no. you, would you go into space if someone gave you a free trip into space? You know how they're doing that today? Um, yeah, I know how they're doing that today, but you know what, what's that movie called with, um, <laughs> is it Martian? Is that what it is? The newer one? Oh yeah. Um, with what's his name? With Matt Damon? Yeah. Matt Damon, the Boston guy. Yeah. Uh, how do I forget his name? Um, and the whole time I was thinking that I'm like, absolutely not. Even if somebody were like, you can go for free. I think I, I don't think I would go. It's just, it doesn't excite me that much. It actually freaks me out a little bit. So there, there's, would you go? Too, oh, uh, um, and it depends probably, yeah. probably, I don't know. I, it looks like every single movie and, uh, you know, NASA documentary that I've seen or like the history of space travel Mm -hmm. getting into space looks like a huge pain in the ass like physically like it just looks like it would be a great uh, point I agree wholeheartedly yeah like I'll go I'll go on a roller coaster you take me down to Universal Islands of Adventure I will jump on the (laughs) Hulk you know but going and and doing that thing where they have you sit down in the cylinder and 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 throw you around and like a million times in circles. Yeah. No, thanks. I'm good. And then you come back and you're atrophied and it's yeah. just yeah. I don't want to lose my gains. Like yeah. I, I, losing these, <laughs> I've worked hard for these gains. I don't want to lose them. <laughs> exactly. So, well. uh, let's let's kind of go let's go back in time. Uh and let's kind of talk about your your early career because I'm sure um, you know, a lot of people are going to be tuning in and they, they may know you from your soccer career. So I want to go back and, and kind of ask you about the, the start of that. When did you start playing soccer? Was that your main sport when you were growing up or is it something that you got into, uh, I guess, later on? Um, no, that was definitely my main sport. Um, I started playing when I was about four and mainly because my older brother, Chris, Um, played. It was easier for my parents to, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, truck both of us around (laughs) than um, separately. So Mm -hmm. of course my dad from the early age was like, thought I was a special player, even though I'm from Indiana, which is definitely not a soccer hotbed. So at the time in the early eighties, 
me being a special player, I don't know how good I could have really been. Because what, what age was, would that have been where, I guess, whether it was you or your parents kind of knew, you know, there, there was kind of something special going on here? Yeah, I would say it was probably around somewhere between eight and 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Because at that point in time, I was just primarily playing on my brother's all boys team with my brother at the mm-hmm. time. And I was, and he's a couple of years older. So even if I was like six or eight years old, I'm playing against eight and 10 year old boys and I could keep up with them at the time. Um, it wasn't until a little bit later when their athleticism just took off and, and mine didn't quite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, I would say eight or 10 years old. I think my dad especially was like, okay, this kid has something special. Um, I'm going to push her. A little bit more. I mean, listen. His nickname was Crazy Larry Lindsay, so (laughs) (laughs) so he. I don't think he had any problem pushing me, but a little bit more than he did my brother, because I think he saw the talent that I had um, in the future I had in the game. So, so yeah. So around four years old, played with my brother, and then kind of went from there. I mean, growing up, I played multiple sports: Mm -hmm. um, basketball, cross country. Um, swam on our swim team. It was just a very active kid in general. And then, but it wasn't really until, till high school when I started focusing just on soccer and that's when it kind of started to take off. Was that, uh, like far and away your, your favorite sport or were you, did you like basketball more, but you were just better at soccer? Was it anything like that? No, to be honest, um, that was definitely by far my best sport. In the in the the sport though that I started playing the earliest and devoted the most time to. So it'd have been interesting besides like my height, um, if I would have devoted some of the um same attention to basketball to see where that could have gone, which would have made more sense in the state of Indiana. But um I think also yeah, it was a sport that I dedicated the most to, but it really wasn't to I was really into like the arts and the movies. And so I love like going to movies. I love going to plays. And so actually I got pretty burnt out my seventh grade year and I thought I was going to be a movie star. So Mm -hmm. I started taking acting classes and then my portrayal of Meep in the Diary of Anne Frank actually went horrible. I was the worst actress ever. So (laughs) like I couldn't get back to soccer quick enough. I'd taken about six months off. I think my dad was more heartbroken than I was taking the time off. But then it was like, okay, good thing I tested the waters with acting because this is atrocious and get me back to soccer. And then that was kind of like the defining moment. I would say about eighth grade is when I returned to the game and then I kind of started taking more ownership of my career instead of my dad pushing me and pushing me to practice on my own. I started doing everything because I wanted to instead of him him telling me to. I, I want to go back to the acting stuff for a second. I'm curious <laughs> about that because I, it was funny. I talked to Brian Patrick Murphy on, on episode one about this. I talked to Tannis on, on episode three about this. And I, I'm curious if there was like one specific event, something that you saw that made you say, that's what I want to do. I want to act. <laughs> Was there well, like was there a performance yeah. or a movie uh, that you saw? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman, okay, <laughs> which is hilarious. But because um, I'm I'm pretty sure some parents would be appalled that I was watching that movie when I was like 11. But is, um, that, is that rated R? Yeah, but okay. yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have yet to see Pretty Woman. It's oh, uh, what? 
Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's um, a prostitute and then wins over, you know, uh, ends up falling in love with Richard Gere. Oh, I know the story. But, it is, yeah, it yeah. is iconic, but it's yeah. just, uh, man, what am, what am I going to watch tonight? Am I going to watch Pacific Rim, Mission Impossible 5, Pretty Woman, uh, probably yeah. Mission Impossible 5. No, I pro- I'm sure I just had the biggest crush on um, on Julia Roberts. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sh- I'll, I'll go to Hollywood. I'll become a big movie star, and then she'll notice me. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's probably what was my thinking. Um, but yeah, so that was a good. It was good to test the waters because, oh man, not only am I tone deaf, but I was just like so stiff and rigid during that performance. I mean, there's only one girl in that whole performance, though the mm-hmm. lead, who was like fantastic and everyone else we were seriously we we're awful so but it was good it was a good learning experience and then that kind of set the set the tone for the rest of my soccer career so it's <laughs> meant to be it, it caused that that uh that seismic shift back yeah. into soccer 100 percent sure do you do you have any like t- today if you had any like opportunities would you ever kind of give that acting stuff uh, another shot or is that just like that was just one and done uh that's probably one and done but uh, um i do some public speaking now mm-hmm. and um so that that comes in handy um some of the stuff i learned i've kept um in my back pocket a little bit but um yeah i'm pretty sure that was one and done i mean i definitely would not be sitting here talking to you <laughs> if I had continued to pursue that. Oh man. I think even my parents, cause my mom was pretty, pretty into the fact that I was taking a break from soccer and then going to try something different. And I think right when that final presentation happened, she was like, okay, um, let's head back to soccer. That was a good, mm-hmm. let's go right from, try. right from the, the, uh, the stage to the field, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, get some practice going. We'll bring the cones out. Um, have, have you had a chance to meet Julia Roberts yet? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, absolutely no. But on, you don't, you don't uh, know last- someone. You don't know someone, or know someone that knows someone that can that can you know cause that that bumping into to happen. Um, I I mean, it'd be interesting to see if I did have a connection that like a far far away connection. But I think that was like eleven year old crush, and now and then I moved on quickly. Right. So she's still yeah. an incredible woman and uh, doing absolutely. great things and one hundred percent still. Uh, Still pretty much killing it acting wise. Everything that <laughs> yeah. she's in, she's usually the best, if not, you know, next to someone who was also incredible actor. So, yep. uh, all right. So now, okay. We, we went from soccer to, to, to acting. Let's go, let's go back to soccer. Just like your parents thought was best. And <laughs> let's, let's <laughs> go and talk about, I guess, you know, after, after acting, you're going back to soccer and you're obviously excelling in that going into you know, high school and things like that. How, how did that go? Were you just kind of like destroying all the competition? Um, well, I mean, I think, like I said before, early on, I think, um, my parents realized I was pretty good. And so then when I returned to like kind of refocused on my goals, cause early on, I'd always wanted to play in the world cup mm-hmm. in the Olympics, Mia Hamm, um, some people might know the name Michelle Akers. She was mm-hmm. a mid, like an iconic midfielder for the U.S. team. I mean, those were my idols. And it was kind of like during the crazy times of my dad, like pushing me and building goals in the backyard. Like, I mean, I was polishing shoe, my mm-hmm. cleats before every game at the age of like 10. So, <laughs> I mean, which is kind of like unheard of because cleats aren't even made out of leather anymore. But um, so I would say 
once I came, I went back to return to soccer, that was a real um, turning point because I really did start taking ownership of my own career and I knew I was good and I enjoyed the game. I just needed a little bit of separation from it. And then from that point, it was like, all right, you know, I'm going to, at that point in time, I was doing what's called an ODP, Olympic Development Program, or just mm-hmm. getting started in it. And so I was starting to get noticed by some of our youth national team coaches mm-hmm. um, which was actually a good stepping stone because I would go to these national youth national team camps and I would quickly realize like, okay, I'm like a very good soccer player, no doubt, but I'm also a very good soccer player for like the early nineties in Indiana. So there was like these top players coming from New Jersey and California and they were like, they were competing against the best players day in and day out all year round. And I wasn't, I wasn't getting that necessarily. So for me, it was like, okay, how can I find additional tools that are going to make me better? And then that's when I really started to get into strength and conditioning, the strength training. And so that, and I found different ways that were going to help propel me, keep me injury free. Um, so I could play year round. Cause I didn't really have, I, I couldn't afford to be injured. Like I was always like this, in my opinion, like a very, very good soccer player especially when it came to like skills and understanding the game mm-hmm. but when you speak about athletes here in the u.s i mean you're talking about the abby wambox who are close to six foot mm-hmm. you're talking about Sidney larue's who are some of the fastest players you've ever played against so their pure athleticism takes soccer away despite their even their skill i mean these are like top athletes um in the country or in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I had to find ways that were going to separate me athletically. And so for me, it was like, well, you've got to make sure you're, you're not going to get injured because there was just no time to downtime to, to be rehabbing. So once I found strength training, it was like really an additional tool that was awesome for me. And that's kind of what's propelled me into really wanting to give it back to today's youth and even just, um, gen- women in general. So, yeah. So, so when you were in that developmental program, were they providing you with any kind of like assistance in terms of like programming for, for strength training or things that you should be doing to, you know, here's are the things that we kind of recommend for you to be doing to, to get ready. If it's, you know, it comes that we call you to the big stage. Um, at that time, like absolutely not. I mean, it was mainly just developing soccer players. So all of that stuff I was doing, doing on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and really my first taste of, um, the weight room was my freshman year and I needed an additional credit to fulfill my course load. Freshman um, year of high school. Yeah. Freshman year of wow. high school. And so, I mean, it's, it's funny to look back because I, uh, like we joke about my dad being crazy Larry Lindsay, but he was, he was pretty, um, ahead of the game too. I mean, he was having me, do like body weight squats and push-ups at a young age as well. So I was kind of familiar with those types of movements. But then um, my freshman year, when randomly I needed an extra credit, our high school football coach had just implemented a strength and conditioning class um, that like non-athletes in the high school could take as well. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, I'll sign up. And to be honest, I was like scared to death because I was super excited in one aspect because I was like this driven athlete that wanted to like, you know, do anything that I could to become a better soccer player, better athlete. But I was also like already kind of considered this like athletic, you know, stronger than most guys 
female. And I was like, great, here I am going to be taking this weightlifting class. And I was one of two females in the class. So at the time I was like, oh, this is frightening. But, um, we were like squatting, we were deadlifting, we were bench pressing. So it's kind of funny to look back. Um, yeah. So it was an awesome experience. And the guy, the football coach who was like teaching this. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, if I look back, I'm pretty sure we were doing like leg presses and leg curls as well. But on a side note, which is really cool is, um, me and the other girl that was in the class, um, her name's Amber Campbell. We both, um, competed at the 2012 Olympic games and she'll represent the United States, um, actually this summer in Rio as well for shot put. So that class, even though I look back and laugh, we must have been doing something right because yeah, hell yeah. Um, the, t- the two females that were in that class actually were in the Olympics four years ago. So Yeah, who's yeah. Gym, ca- gym class or you know high school weight room can say that? I know. So it's kind of crazy. But yeah, so that was my first taste of strength training and learning my way around a weight room. Did you did you go uh, in a college to play to play soccer? Yeah, I went to I played at University of Virginia. Um, was recruited to play there, and mm. then did they uh, give you like is that because this is something that wasn't always the case where there were you know I mean even you see it today there's like five times as many scholarships for male athletes and female athletes. Um, w- was that a case where they could give you a full ride? Yeah, full ride, and then we um, we were top school. And, um, now there it's even, I mean, Steve Swanson, who's the head coach there mm-hmm. is, is like a second father to me and he's done wonders with that program. And they're, um, consistently, if not number one in the country, top five in the country wow. and the, the program's just killing it. But yeah, even when I was there, we had, um, full rides and the full amount of scholarships that, um, you could, you could have per, per soccer team. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, fully funded program. So, so throughout college, what what did you? I mean, hopefully you had some time to study outside of the partying and playing soccer all the time. What 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 what, what like you know had your interest? What did you want to do in terms of like major and things like that? Mm, well, a sociology major, mm-hmm. um, and there. I mean, there are a ton of smart people at that school, so it was a good <laughs> thing that, that that was my major. Um, but seriously, at the time, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I just loved hanging out with my teammates, um, friends, and, and playing soccer. And to me, I was always so focused on um, – my main goal was to make the national team. Right. And so at that point in time, around my junior year or my senior year, we had our very first pro league um, that took, that developed in the right after the 99 World Cup. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, I guess it was more like 2001 when the league um, started up. But – so that was like another stepping stone. I'm like, okay, well, I want to play with the national team, but I also want to play in this league. So I was, I was never hurting for fun. Like I definitely had a, my good um, set of like parties that I went to <laughs> and stuff. But I was definitely, I mean, if, I think if you talked to any of my teammates and former teammates, they would have been like, yep, all right. <laughs> this is Lori's passion. This is what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. It was very clear um, the path that I wanted to take. And, and I, and I really didn't, I held true to that, you know, even though there was a lot of, um, chances to like sway and, um, go a different route. I was definitely driven and my, my, my passion was clear for sure. 
I, this is just from my experience at Keene State College. The two uh, best teams to hang out with for parties were the soccer team and the swim team. Absolutely. Yes. I don't know if that well, was like across the board throughout the world, but uh, at least it was in the uh, town full of like 1,200 people in New Hampshire. Awesome. Yeah, let's just say it is. I'm pretty sure most of the soccer players are a good time. So Yeah, my peer-reviewed so. research shows that uh, <laughs> swim teams and soccer teams were the coolest kids to hang out with in college. All right, we're going with it. I'll, I'll roll with it. Um Let's we're going to jump back and forth because you you kind of brought it up. Uh, this is the fun thing about talking is that we can kind of go over the place and it doesn't necessarily need to be a linear path. But um, there's been a lot of news with Rio and the, the it's on fire um, and there is going to be an Olympics there very soon. As you mentioned, um, how, how do you feel about like the current situation or like if you can kind of put yourself into the shoes of someone that is going to have to go over there for the Olympics? Um, I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on that whole situation, situation, some athletes saying, you know, potentially, you know, behind the scenes or not, whether it's from directly from them or from family members that they might not even go because of how you know dangerous the Olympics could be. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting topic. I really haven't talked to any of our current players and it seems like no one's been speaking out in the more recent months, but yeah, I mean, um, I think it's definitely an interesting topic. I mean, here you have like athletes who've been training, you know, some just for the past four years, but almost all of them, their entire lives to get to this point and then to feel like they should back out or, or not attend is, is wild in itself. And I don't know if I actually have like a solution, but it's just, how do we fix, uh, how do we fix Brazil? (laughs) Yeah. How do we fix the government? (laughs) It's insane. Right. I mean, I'm actually surprised that they were even awarded the Olympics, but well, you know, I, I don't know. This is something that has come up in with like FIFA and mm-hmm. uh, other organizations that it's weird when you kind of give the people that are capable of making decisions briefcases full of cash. Um, Absolutely. You can, you can kind of put a slip on top of the cash that says, hey, you know, like this is just I'm just like giving you this for free. But you know, maybe like if you like money, I think Rio would be a great destination for the Olympics, even if we have to kind of like enslave people to build the structures. So just turn a blind eye to that and build what you need to build or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they somehow pulled it off for the men's world cup in 2014, which <laughs> I know was like a little hairy as well, but, yeah. um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it really is. I mean, I haven't heard anybody say they're backing out yet, but we're still a few months out. So, what would you do? Would you, I mean, with all the stuff that we're hearing, would you just be like, well, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter what's going on there. Like, I'm going to the Olympics. Like, that nothing is going to stop me. I would probably go. Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah. How you have, you have, you have, after you have, all the after all the work and right. the years of training and yeah, I would go. And and I gotta imagine like the Olympic Commission has has put some kind of you know faith or reassurance uh, with the 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 athletes that will be going. Like, hey, we got your back. Like, we are doing everything within our power to provide security and protection and working with the real government or working with whatever you know body is over there to make sure that. 
we can we can take care of our people and you know you don't even have to worry about it yeah absolutely uh all right let's go let's go back to college so you wrapped up college and after after college what what happened after that was it you know going right into again prepping for prepping for the olympics getting ready for the the national stage Yes. Yeah, so I actually left my before my spring season of my senior year because we were in our very first pro league. We were starting the second year of that pro league, which was the WSA, Women's United Soccer Association. Mm-hmm. And so I got drafted by the San Diego Spirit. So I left early from school, went out there and played. And then in the finish up school in the off season, and then I got traded to the Washington Freedom and in the off season. And so I played that league only lasted three years. So the third year I played with the Washington freedom and that's kind of how I, besides playing college soccer at UVA, that's kind of how DC became my home base Mm -hmm. is because ever since that, um, final season in WSA, this, I've just kind of stayed here on and off, even if I was traveling or playing, um, with other teams in other leagues. So, yeah, so Right after college, went to play in the WSA, and then that just give, gave me even more of a, a platform to be seen by the national team coaches. Mm-hmm. The national team coach at the time, her name was April Heinrichs, and she was for the first year and a half of my college career with my college coach before she took over the national team. So she called me in 2004 with the national team, and then a month before the Olympics, I got I got cut. So, And then... Then that started like a really – no, actually about a year later uh, or for the next year I was called in with the national team mm-hmm. and they got a new coach, um, Greg Ryan at the time. And then that started like a good like five-year period where I didn't get called in with the national team. There was like a – we were – we didn't have a professional league. So it was like this long waiting period of deciding whether or not do I still want to pursue this goal of playing consistently, consistently with the national team, pl- trying to play in a world cup and Olympics or, and wait for another pro league to come around or do I like hang up the boots? And so I decided to stick it out. Um, got into a little bit of personal training while I was waiting plus playing on like, um, the Washington freedom, the team that I was pro team I was playing for. They created a semi pro team, which was quite a few of us who had played in the pro league who had also been in and out of the national team we're just in the area and we'd play games in the summer, train year round. So it was actually got very, very lucky in my training environment. And then, like I said, just got into some personal training. And that's when I really caught the bug of um, strength and conditioning and kind of knowing that's the route I wanted to take post-playing career, even though I had several more years before I was going to retire. What, what was it like to get traded? Oh, well kind of hilarious because you're like, wait a second, <laughs> am, I, am I even making enough money to be traded? Like what? And, um, was that kind of like good that someone wants you like another team, like wants you and they see value in, in you? Oh, a hundred percent. And then I ended up staying with the Washington freedom for a number of years. I think it was about six years that I was on playing with those coaches in that team. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good, it, it really worked out to my benefit. But yeah, absolutely. Especially because the San Diego team that I was playing for, they'd fired a coach in the middle of the season. Our general manager decided to take over as the head coach. I mean, 
we had all these like wonderful players on the team. Julie Foudy, who was the national team mm, wow. uh, captain. We had like, I mean, our, our roster was stacked, but mm-hmm. on the field we were in shambles and just and off the field as well. And we just weren't performing. So in that offseason, there was just a ton of restructure. So at the time, I was pretty happy to get out of that environment and head to, <laughs> head to D.C. So, um, but yeah. And to to be wanted and to have a coach that um, values how you play is always key. Because I mean, team sports—that's the tough part, right? Like, you you can be like this awesome, awesome player, but if the coach prefers like chocolate ice cream over vanilla or vice yeah. versa, then you're kind of held to to what that coach is really wants or is looking for. And it seems like that was an incredibly impactful event in your life. Like you said, it brought you to to dc which is now uh your homie kind of fell in love with the place absolutely yeah it was just a good good environment and then um finally got made my way back to the national team i think in like 2009 or so Mm -hmm. and um fortunately didn't look back from there so it's a good a good turning point Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the interview so far with Lori. And I just want to take a second of your time to ask for your support because with these shows, I don't have any sponsorships. So I am doing them solely based on support that I can get from the audience. So you can support the show in two ways. And really, if you enjoy this content and if you do this, it means so much in helping me continue to do this show going down the road. You go to fitcast.network and you can either make a one time or a monthly donation through PayPal. Right now, there has been two people that have done donations since I started the network, which is awesome. Thank you so much to the people that have done that. But I really hope more people value this content and get on board so I can continue to produce it for you going down the road. You can also make purchases via Amazon, but just first go to fitcast.network, click in the Amazon tab at the upper right-hand corner. Then that sends you right back to Amazon. You get the same prices, the same great deals and shipping and all that, but Mr. Amazon is a huge fan when I send people over there. So he kicks a little bit back towards the network and that helps so much. So please, if you do enjoy these shows, go to fakehouse.network, support the show, support the network and help me continue to grow this thing going down the road. Thank you. And you also, this is a, I do research for these shows, folks. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I I got to see that you also had the opportunity in 2011 to meet now, uh, who looks like to be the potential Democratic nominee for for president, uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, we were actually, um, if my memory serves me correct, I think that was actually the day before we were... The day before, actually, the morning of that we were leaving for the 2011 World Cup in mm-hmm. Germany. So, yeah, Hillary or um, Hillary was here at the State Department and um, honoring us. And um, it might have been like Women in Sports Day, so there's quite a few athletes. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and actually, randomly, too, um, Carmen Sterniolo, who's the owner here and um, – the coach I work with here at Ambitious Athletics, mm-hmm. randomly he was there that day, but I didn't <laughs> know him at the time. And so we have a picture together, though, because he's um, a Penn State alumni, and Allie Krieger, who plays on the U.S. Women's National Team, was there with me, and she mm-hmm. she went to Penn State. So he got a picture with all of us. So then when we met up for coffee, when I was going to um, start um, coaching and working with him here, he like showed me this picture, and I was like, wait, what? Wow. We met each other? So just kind of a random 
random series of events, but yeah. That's cool what time. the, the, uh, the, I guess pessimist in me would have first thought you Photoshopped that, right? <laughs> how, how I should have to go back and look at that picture again. I need to see the proof to see if I was actually there or not, or if he was there. Were you able to get Hillary do anything cool, like a like a high five or like uh, I don't know what a cool presidential nominees or then at the time senators do, or secretary yeah. of state at the time. No, I, if I remember correctly, though, I think I was so excited for the World Cup that I was like, saw Hillary, and I'm like, this is amazing. Okay, now we're headed to Germany, <laughs> We right? got some work to do, so nice <laughs> yeah, to meet exactly. you, but uh, sorry, I got more pressing matters than, you know, meeting potentially could be the most powerful person in the world in a couple months. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that or, that or Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let, okay. maybe that's a good transition into yeah. uh, another thing that I want to talk to you about, because, um, I mean... Again, you've been uh, an advocate. You've been able to use the the world of social media to do some good and and use it as a platform to talk about um, LBGT rights. And um, going into this discussion, um, I'm kind of curious. I I've never you know known known this like it or what your story was. But when did you when did you come out uh, as a gay woman? Yeah, I would, uh, let's see, when was that? 2012. So it had been right after the Olympics. So, you know, up in, I had been out, um, you know, since college. Um, mm-hmm. It was no secret to friends or family or, or teammates by any means. But my best friend, Megan Rapino and I, this is something who, who's also um, an out athlete. Um, it was something that we talked about quite often. It was like, okay, how how can we come out publicly? How can we, um, use like a soccer platform for good and, and, and not just to inspire young kids to play soccer, but to like, you know, um, clearly, you know, there's still homophobia in this world. Mm -hmm. And so how can we use this to, you know, to make an impact in others' lives? And it was pretty unclear at the time because, up until really actually the 2011 World Cup, women's soccer in particular had gone through a ton in, of peaks and valleys. So, mm-hmm. you know, we on one hand, there was like the Mia Hams and um, Julie Foudy's, Christine Lilly's, all these players who were celebrities in their own right. But like women's soccer, basically the success of women's soccer hinged on a world championship that was every four years. So we would yeah. have a spike in attendance and then there would be like this down downfall in attendance and then we would see it spike again for like an olympics and then they would go you know the success of or the excitement around the team and the game in general would um would have a lull and yeah. so it wasn't really till the 2011 world cup that um I feel like put women's soccer on the map. Like one story I like to tell is prior to leaving to Germany, we played in New Jersey and we had a send off match there where we played in front of like only about 5,000 fans. Mm -hmm. And wow, that seems like quite a few to some people from like women's national team standards. It was like pretty disappointing. But since that world cup, well, in the final against Japan, we played in front of 60,000 live fans (laughs) and millions more watched at home. And then since that, since that World Cup, we played in no fewer in front of no fewer than twenty thousand fans, and most of those stadiums um, being sold out. And then, I mean, you see the product of what happened last summer in Canada for the Women's World Cup. I mean, it was massive. Yeah. So, ever since that World Cup, have 
Like, you know, Alex Morgan became a celebrity overnight and she wasn't even a starter on her team. Megan was one of them. Mm-hmm. She, she dyed her hair blonde before the World Cup and then like fans went ballistic for her. <laughs> and so, you know, I think it became clear to Megan and I right after that, during that World Cup and right after that World Cup, because we could feel the impact mm-hmm. and the excitement um, that, oh, now, now is the time that we can speak out. There's, a, there's actually a platform. Mm-hmm. And immediately after that World Cup did Megan, you know, I actually, we, she spoke about this publicly before, but I turned to her on that plane on the ride home and I said, now's the time to come out. Like, if you want to talk about making an impact, like, let's do it now. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was afraid to come out or lead the charge. Um, it was just more Megan had a broader a broader reach and mm-hmm. she had publications that were already reaching out to her, um, even on our flight home that were like, okay, do you want to do a story on your sexuality? And so a year later, um, did I have some publications reach out to me? And then I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll jump out. I'll jump on this opportunity mm-hmm. because for me, it's always been, um, listen, if you have this platform, it's important to speak out yeah. because, you know, if everyone, whatever, if we didn't have homophobia and then there was, you know, if there was a ton of, if everyone is fine and dandy with it, then fine, then no, it wouldn't be needed. But that's not the case, right? There's still people that are being punished every day mm-hmm. for um, their sexuality, for the color of their skin. So it, to me, it's, it's a must if you, if you have this platform. And so, it was very important for me to speak out. And so, and even since I'm done playing, it's been funny because I've, I've been afforded so many awesome opportunities while I was playing, but it's been post career that I've gotten even more opportunities. And it's just like, I'm just want to say yes to everything. Cause even if it just means helping one person, I think that's huge. And, and I think that's huge in the fitness industry too. I mean, no one seems to get into this in- industry because you don't want to help somebody, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's like, okay, how can I make an impact in somebody else's lives through my experiences? And so, yeah, so I'm doing these speeches for Johnson Johnson in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. doing like six speeches for them all around their headquarters. And they're huge into, um, diversity and the LGBT community. And so, and just equality and inclusiveness within their, their, um, their corporation in general. So, it's like those opportunities that I'm like, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. It's for, I mean, I, I've, I wanted to talk about this because we were in a kind of super nuclear heat kind of political climate right now. Um, you know, it always happens when it comes to an election, there's two, two big, you know, podiums where people can say whatever they want to try to win votes and things like that. And, now we we live in a country in the United States. We're very very fortunate to live here. We got you know some incredible rights, but uh, the thing that we're kind of built on is the idea of of freedom, like you said, uh, equality, inclusiveness, um, things that should be a part of the you know the country that is supposed to be leading the way in terms of the rights of the people. And uh, we've had you know multiple. I mean, there, there's, I mean you would be a better person to ask than for me to say, but it seems like there has been some progress, but there has been, you know, while there's been progress, there's still been um, maybe with social media and things like that, just even more platforms for people to, to kind of spew hate and things like that. 
Oh, absolutely. I think anytime you start to see progress, though, there's always pushback. But yeah. I think that's a, a good indicator that we are moving forward because there's a lot of people that don't want change. And so if you see those people pushing back and um, spewing hateful things, then it's like, okay, we are progressing. We're progressing because there's enough noise that these people or these haters, whatever you want to call them, um, it's getting their attention. So I think you always um, will get that pushback when you start to see change. But mm-hmm. I think it's even more of um, critical than to continue to push forward, speak out um, on whatever matter that means to you, um, because you know I think you can see the change that's happening. And, um, you know, I feel like even just as one person, I've been able to influence um, quite a few people and imagine the masses speaking out. And I think that's an incredible thing. Yeah, I guess when people do have that platform, it's all about figuring out, you know, what is that message going to be? What am I going to use my platform to talk about? Because there are so many things that could could use uh, some speaking out from people that have very strong voices in the world, I, I, now I wish everyone could, I guess, talk about you know rights for everyone. Talk about uh, trying to reduce animal cruelty. Maybe <laughs> think about uh, you know not polluting the world as much. But you kind of have to pick whatever your platform is going to be on, or the the uh, the things that you want to, to use that energy on. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think is um, you know I'm a big believer if it's as, as long as it's for good. Yeah. And, um, you know, your heart is in the right place, then, you know, speak out. Yeah. And, and I've, I had a discussion with John Romanello about this because I'm, I'm someone that gets, I'm incredibly passionate about stuff and I always have to kind of check myself before I riggedy wreck myself on the internet. <laughs> and it, it's when I, I see a story and I want to immediately go to, like, because I have, you know, we all have platforms now. We all have Facebook and Twitter where we can talk to friends and family or whoever that follows us and we can say what our opinion is on things and my immediate reaction when I see when I, when I see you know certain parts of the government trying to just blatantly discriminate and bring up bullshit excuses for why they're discriminating against people uh I just want to immediately go and say hey and actually, I looked it up. What you were saying, I don't know what those people are called. I looked up on the dictionary, and this looks, seems to match it, assholes. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what they're called. So yeah. <laughs> when, when, when assholes kind of back senators and, and governors that are in favor of doing these things that discriminate against people, that make people whose lives are already hard, even harder, and making making their the, the, the crap they have to go through even worse... Um, is, is something that no one should support. And that's, and I've had friends in the industry that have said, no, no, Kev, like you don't want to do You don't want to say something politically that is going to mess with your business. And I'm like, really, do I really want, you know, people that are going to, because against my friends, my family members, people that I work with that are, uh, you know, gay, lesbian, transgender am i going to allow those people to talk shit no i don't care i don't need your money if you're going to be a again i looked it up asshole so <laughs> don't don't worry about it you don't need to buy my stuff you don't need to listen to this show you don't have to be yeah exactly be inclusive to, to everyone if you don't agree with that it's okay i don't need you to 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 do anything for me what i would like you to do 
is maybe go meet some of those people and talk to them. I would like to to listen instead of yelling, instead of spewing hate and and doing the things that are making this country worse and and not better. I think if people just talk to each other instead of just speaking one way, so many of these things uh, would be different. And it's, those are the things that just get me get me riled up. And then I post about it, and then I have to <laughs> delete it because yeah. like, and I have to at least change my wording or, or something like that because otherwise I do think, well, you know, again, maybe there's, you know, some reason why someone thinks that way. I don't know why it could have been how they were brought up. I don't know. And hopefully I can rephrase this and just say, Hey, maybe you shouldn't think this way and you should think about other people and how they might interpret your, your political views and stuff like that. And, uh, Again, it's it's one of those things that it just it gets more and more nuclear heat as we get closer to this election, and mm-hmm. it will probably I don't know if it's going to get better, but maybe it's just like you said, it's the pushback. It's just people being louder for the pushback, but we're still taking two steps forward, one step back, and as long as we keep, you know, going in a mean positive, we will be will be going forward. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I actually I listened to that. Um, that podcast with you and, and John. Yeah. And it got, it got me totally fired up because I think it's important to talk about even in the, f- the fitness industry. Um, you know, John speaking out and saying like, okay, like if it's the, if you are anti LGBT, then like, I don't want your business because mm-hmm. that's just not how, that's not how I work. And to me, I think it's important to speak out. Yes, we're here to help people in terms of their health and stuff, but it's also inclusive. We work with people. We work with all different types of people, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to always be – not that everyone's just talking sets and reps. I'm not – I don't want to just generalize there, but yeah. I think it's – I love that he said that, and I love that you guys had that conversation because I do think it's important, and I think um, people who – want to become healthier and want our help and are looking for um, leaders in the industry, they need to know that they're going to be loved and safe and um, treated as equal, you know? So, um, yeah, I love that. God, I wish we could finish on those words, but I want to ask you some <laughs> other questions. Right, uh, sure. That would have been a great way to finish it. Um, well, yeah, I mean, again, that's, that's something that I, if, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who the audience is on, on, on this show. I don't know everyone that, that tunes in. It's just, it's, I, I really hope that people do, you know, tune into any of this stuff that they feel somewhat different, you know, maybe just think about God, the human, the human beings that you, that you say this stuff to or, or about, and think about how much, you know, harder you could be making their lives. Think about your friends that could be around you that just feel like they can't even talk to you, you know? Um, it's it's something that I, I have no idea even how to contemplate what that would feel like. Um, but I don't feel bad going above and beyond trying to do whatever I can to, you know, at least more inclusivity is is never going to be a bad thing. Right? Um, no. Unless no. like some aliens come and then they end up being bad guys and we think they're good guys first. Like that's the only time it happens and it's bad. I don't know. I'm trying to add some light to that. Um, so, well, thank you for all the work that you do to, to again, try to, I don't like, I don't even know how to talk about this. Create awareness. Is that like, yeah, I think that that's a fabulous way to say it. All right. I guess I, that sounds like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to, to, word it without sound like i think that's like what corporations say now 
Yeah, no, it's you're you're exactly right. It's totally <laughs> trying just to speak like awareness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you're it's your spot on. Okay, let's um let's continue to talk about uh, your journey because, like you mentioned before, um, there was a point where you had to hang the boots up, and uh, we talked a little bit about this on the Fitcast uh, about a year ago, but. Um, I mean, again, for, for this show, I mean, how hard was that decision? And also, I mean, it's, it's been a while. I've, like, what's it been like to kind of just watch your friends, watch the, <laughs> the, the new generation also come up and, you know, take those spots that, that you're in? Yeah, I, w- I would say the, the decision itself to retire, it, it wasn't that difficult because one, um, I had, I was very fortunate. I had 30 years of playing soccer, a 13 year professional league of staying injury free. So I was really, I was able to step away from the game on my own terms. And so, which makes it 10 times easier than being forced out if due to injury mm-hmm. or, um, or make up something else. But, um, so really for me, it was on my own terms. And I was like, okay, now is the time. And I always told myself, I'm going to maximize my potential. I'm going athletic potential. I'm going to put everything I have into this. I love this sport. I'm going to suck it dry basically. And I really, and then when that changes, when I feel like, okay, um, you know, my commitment to the game starts to sway a bit or my mind wandering onto something else besides just playing and my focus, then I know that that's the time. Mm-hmm. And I would say the last like couple of years playing, that was kind of what was happening. I was starting to think like, okay, diving in more to reading about strength and conditioning. And I, I mean, I always had done that. And, but it was like, okay, this is, what's my next stage of my life really going to start to look like? Mm-hmm. And so once I knew that was taking place, not that I didn't feel like I could do the both of them, but it was just like, okay, I'm ready to move on. And, um, I've been so fortunate because one, I stayed injury free and two, I've basically achieved everything that I had set out to in, in my career of soccer. So the decision itself wasn't totally difficult, but I would say this year has been totally interesting. Like on one way, on one side, it hasn't been that um, difficult. And then on the other side, I'm like, whoa, this past year has been crazy. What am I doing? This has been one of the toughest years. And more, not physically, obviously, but emotionally. Just, you know, getting my voice in the industry. Mm-hmm. Who, obviously, I want to share my experiences. How do I do that? Um, I've been an athlete, so I understand what it takes. I've had these amazing mentors who've written my programs like Eric Cressy and Mike Robertson. And, but it's like, okay, so I understand like the coaching side, but then like going in and being a coach every day, you're like, okay, like actually, I, I don't even know if I know how to make a cue. Like, <laughs> I don't know, get down and pick the bar up. So it's just been like on a simple, simplistic level like that has been a total, um, total change, but, um, I never thought about that. That's like, it's like going from, I don't know. It's like, it's like speaking a language, but then needing to know how to read it. Absolutely. It has been, um, you know, it's so, it's, it's just so interesting because I, all of these movements and stuff have been ingrained in me since I was like five. Mm -hmm. So I've just like over years developed my own ability to do this. But then when you're telling somebody who, this is foreign to them. It's like, okay, well, 
push, you know, push yourself away from the ground, you know, feel your whole foot. And they're like, uh, feel my whole foot. I haven't felt my whole foot (laughs) in years, you know? (laughs) And that could be a young athlete or that could be like a a 35 year old woman or male, you know? So, um, but you know what, to be honest, it's been awesome. Like I have just one, like, you know, one thing that everyone, the question I always get is, like, what do you miss most about playing? And while, like, I miss, like, the big games, like playing in the final of the World Cup and, you know, like, all that you've done to train and get to that point, those are awesome. But, like, I miss, like, the banter in the locker rooms, the practical jokes that you play. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many laughs. Um, you know, Megan Rapino and I, my best friend, she lives in Seattle, Washington, so I don't get to see her every day. I mean, we're roommates every single trip. And so, like, I miss joking around like that. But Mm -hmm. I think the cool thing is, is when you coach, you develop your own, a new team, you Mm -hmm. know? And while, like, the banter and um, your role within that team is different, um, it's, I I enjoy people. I enjoy getting to know people. And so it's, it's been an adjustment, but it's been, it's been super cool, too. It, it's been awesome to to kind of see, uh, to to, to kind of like watch on the the sidelines to see you uh, in the industry and, and making an impact. And it's always great when you see coaches that have also like they've been where you want to go. You know what I mean? So you mm-hmm. have like a completely different perspective than I would have if I'm like coaching someone that is looking to you know excel at soccer. I have no idea the rigors of what they would go through or what is really expected. But um, you kind of have a really special you know. Uh, view of, of what they they're gonna they're gonna go up against mm-hmm. yeah no I mean and that and I realize that it's just more of being like oh okay um yeah am I qualified to be saying this so it's just <laughs> finding your voice so it's a whole new set of like it's scary right like you're putting yourself out there and I think all um you know a lot of professionals in any realm would feel this way but in the fitness industry i think a lot of people have talked about this and you just got to put yourself out there and and take action and so it's cool because a lot of the lessons you know i've learned through sport has transferred over to now and so especially as i have like this different transition like a lot of my friends are buying homes they're you know married (laughs) and i'm like okay i'm 36 and i'm having this overhaul and change in my life I'm like this seems backwards I should be on the beach somewhere retired but um yeah it's been um you know I'm fortunate because it's been an an awesome life so far and I'm always reminded of that because whenever I see my my parents I was just home in Indiana this past weekend for my step-grandma's 90th birthday and every time I see um old friends or family members from Indiana, they're like, you've lived such an interesting life. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Cause you know, I'm in it day in and day out. Sometimes right. it's easy to get lost in it. And I'm like, you know what? I am, I do live an interesting life. This is pretty cool. It's like yeah. uh, Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and take a look around every once in a while, you could miss Absolutely. it. <laughs> get uh, old how, how are you doing on time? Do you have like 15 or 20 minutes? Um, more um i'm actually about to train a young athlete so could we keep it to like five ten yes let's uh we'll wrap it up with with or maybe what we'll do is we'll come back and do another show some other time whatever like Uh, a part two i i mean i love your show and i listen all the time so and i tell our athletes (laughs) here so um i'll 
I'll come on weekly if you need me to. Okay, so maybe <laughs> maybe that's what we'll do is we'll get together and we'll make this kind of part one. It'll be the first two part we are recording uh, episode, and uh, what we'll do is we'll we'll reconvene. And there's a couple other things I want to talk to you about, but I think uh, we will just do it later so we can uh, do it when we have uh, when we have the time. So uh, for people that do want to kind of keep up to date with what you're doing. Uh, I know there's a couple places where they can check you out. One is on Twitter um, at Lori Lindsay. That's Lori with an I L I N D S E Y the number six uh, on Twitter. And also you got a website set up at Lori Lindsay dot us. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just doing some plugs (laughs) and, uh, and also, uh, I would recommend that people also go to uh, at ambitious a t h l uh, on Twitter or ambitiousathletics.com. But what did I miss? I know I'm sure I didn't cover everything. No, that's it. It's Lori Lindsay Six across the board. I think for the most part on Instagram and Twitter, you know, spot on with LoriLindsay.us, and then um, easy to find me at ambitiousathletics.com. And if you're in the D.C. area, definitely stop by and say hi. I got. I have to go to D.C. at some point because that's an important place to stop by and I can say hi to you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to start getting hot down here. I mean, say, uh, I don't know, in Boston, it's not – you guys get pretty humid up there, but it's yeah. super humid down here in the summer. But if you're going to come, come in the fall. It's beautiful, um, much cooler, less humidity. And I'll take you on a little D.C. tour. Perfect. Maybe you can show me where the uh, the wire was filmed, or maybe we should skip those because that was probably yeah. Wait, because the wire though, Baltimore is that right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but Maryland. I don't Maryland. Oh, DC yeah, yeah. is all the so same thing. It's to a, me. Yeah, more Baltimore though, which is about forty five minutes. But yeah, I'll take you there too. Sweet. So, yeah. Yep. We we'll go see everything for for the wire fans. Omar's coming to town. Um, <laughs> all right, so. Yeah, we will uh, we will reconvene and uh, we will plan on a fall trip because my summer is jam packed with the Perform Better uh, Summit Mayhem going on. And um, yeah, again, Lori, it was great to great to a catch up, b to kind of you know continue our chat. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you again down the road. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always uh, a pleasure being on this show, and um, and thanks for you know doing the fit cast because this is awesome i listen all the time and you have wonderful guests on and i'm always learning something new so it's perfect yeah, so it's, thank you it's it's all right it's <laughs> it's a top 25 show on the fitness and health section of itunes it's okay Hell yeah well done kev that's awesome thank you and uh really appreciate that and uh again thank you to everyone that tuned in for this episode uh we will see you in about a week go to fitcast.network for all the shows on the fitcast network there's a lot of cool things going on And uh, yeah, that's it for me. And from Lori, we are going to get back to work. Take care.